If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you do? That's a great question. <laughs> what is the long-term effect of too much information? What's up, guys? We are back with the Wine Jar Cynics podcast. Dio. Gene. And Mac. Mac. I, I, for a second, I thought you were going to do what you said you were going to oh, do Mac before. I was preparing for it. I was ready. I was like, getting damn. Your sources and then, <laughs> Yeah, getting the, the editing tools out. I, I forget. What was I going to do? Let's start. <laughs> before. All right. Well, the last topic was uh, uh, really, last topic I thought it was going to be more about prepping, but it's more about survivalists. Actually, I think that conversation kind of changed my mind, too. I'm, I'm I think it can be summed up that prepping is kind of stupid if you don't also do survivalist skills. Mm -hmm, survivalist yeah. skills are useful even if you don't prep. Yes. That's, that's I think, the conclusion. Yeah. All right. So today, today is going to be about uh, uh, Musashi Miyamoto. So you happen to... I think you know about him way more than me. So let's start about... Um, about what you like about his philosophy or his book. Have you read the books on yeah, Five I, Rings and stuff like that? I, I've So I'll tell you the truth. I mean, when I was younger, um, Musashi was, was one of my heroes. I read a lot about him. That being said, I'm, I'm much older than I, I should be. So <laughs> I, I haven't read anything about Musashi in quite a while. Um, but he's I still know enough to know he, he's a fucking badass. Um, first, what got you into him? That's what I'm trying to wonder. And so, I, guess, yeah. I think first, who who is he? Oh, who so is he? Yeah. So, for the people who don't know, so um, Musashi Miyamoto was a samurai back in. That was me raising my hand for people oh. who don't know. <laughs> I raised. My I thought hand. you, you <laughs> fuck, stop doing that. This this place is haunted. Remember, I thought you were looking at something again. Yeah, Dial likes to look over the uh, over the know, shoulder. At some remember, point, at some point, someone did open that door. Oh, that's okay, that's freaky. Okay, like first a real person or, in, or ghost. I think it's not the shadow people I was, was talking about. Peeking in, and oh. listening in. I thought okay. it was the sh the shadow people for a second. Maybe it was a cat. Cat's like. <laughs> <laughs> Playing with me. I mean, uh, the way I would talk about Miyamoto Musashi is he is the greatest swordsman in Japan, right? Uh, that's what so, that's how I always hear about. So he's like a legend or like a cult figure. What he's well, no. So so he he was a samurai who has like he was a fucking savage. I mean, is really the best way to sum him up. He started dueling like life or death duels when he was thirteen years old. He had over the course of his life and and his dueling years I were. It wasn't even that long relative. He had like 60 one-on-one -on -one duels, and he won them all. By the end of his dueling career, he no longer needed to use a sword. He used a stick, and he beat the guys who were using swords. It's like Khabib. Sounds like, uh, <laughs> what's it called, the cynics. They used to have a staff, too, and they'd whack people with it. Except he killed them with it. And uh, Oh, he, wow, okay. Because these were life-or-death duels, right? And he, uh, he was the founder of the two-handed... Or the two-sword fighting system. Yeah, that's the interesting part. I mean, at that time, what century was he born in? I, I couldn't tell you that off the top of my head. But I'm thinking it's... Was that unorthodox at the time? No, it was very unorthodox. It was so people that... Because used, most people did single, right? Yeah, so people that used two, one hand on a sword were the barbarians. The barbarians were one hand samurai. Japanese, they used two hands on the sword. 
Um, and then Musashi's like, nah, fuck that. Got two hands. I should have two two blades. <laughs> <laughs> so he'd use the katana in one hand and he'd use the, uh, what's the other sword? The wakizashi as the uh, as the other one. Yeah, born so uh, March 12, 1584. Is that a shorter blade? It's a shorter blade, yeah. But he would use that as just that. Like you should have. Other than that, same style? No, so it was a very different style. So, I mean, the, the stances of Japanese swordsmanship before then, there's, you know, the two hands out in front where the tip's kind of angled up facing mm-hmm. your opponent. There's down by the waist where the tip's facing away, mm-hmm. um, where it's parallel to the ground. There's the ones where it's up, pointed up, mm-hmm. kind of back by, you know, rear guard. Um, <clears throat> and his was kind of like more relaxed. So he would basically hold them with his hands down at his side and the blades facing diagonally up. Uh, kind of at a forty-five each direction. Is that like the guy from Mortal Kombat? Is he based off of him? Probably the stance was probably based off of him. I, I, I remember he held held it in that same way. Yeah, like just kind of relaxed like this, facing back and forth, and yeah. yeah, he'd come in. And so his I forgot his name. I forget the name of his school of swordsmanship, but it was he. He didn't care that people thought it was um, thought it was dishonorable, thought it was barbaric. He he's like, nah, this is battle. We're here to win. Yeah, apparently at the I know we're kind of I guess spoiler alert. Last last battle we had at Gun Ryu Island is that what they call it against uh, K- uh, Kojiro? Mm-hmm. And he he apparently he used the uh, uh, was it Kojiro the ore? Yeah, he used. So this is this is his last duel if if I remember correctly. Is this guy? Uh, I think it was Kojiro, and uh, this guy was a. I mean, same thing. He was a badass swordsman in his own right. But he was more traditional, as orthodox, they, right? They He's, all were. They yeah. Too. Really quickly, did he start the two-hand, like, swords when he was young? No, no. He developed it over okay. as he got older. When he was young, he won just because of savagery. Like, I mean, he didn't have much technique at all. He just was a fucking beast, right? Um, but, yeah, he... Um, so, yeah, he, he he's... There's this uh, duel with this Kojiro guy, and uh, it's on this island. And so he, this shows, like, his strategy. He was – you could think of him as, like – He was a warrior philosopher. Well, he was – you would think of him he, as, like, a contemporary of Sun, uh, Sun Tzu. Right? Really? Well, and not not in, like, time frame, but in terms of topic, right? They were both military strategists and um, really kind of the philosophy of war. And so what he did is he they scheduled you know the time for, for the for the duel to be, like at a certain time in the afternoon. So Kojiro gets there early and he's waiting, waiting, and Musashi intentionally keeps him fucking waiting longer and longer and longer, until um, Koji Surata. That's the I think that's his arch rival. I think that's what, yeah, Koji Surata. I mean this. Uh, Kojiro, yeah, yeah, Sasaki Kojiro, Sasaki Kojiro, yeah, that was his last duel. So anyway, yeah, he he gets this guy really like worked up because he's late, and then he shows up, he rows his boat over right, and just kind of paddles over, hops out with the paddle, um, because it's late in the day, the sun's setting, so he has the sun to his back, so that Kojiro's looking right into the sun. Uh, the duel starts. Kojiro's so mad he like throws his, um. He throws his, his sheath on the ground, right? He pulls out his sword, throws his sheath on the ground. I think Musashi said something where he's attributed to have saying something like, the moment you threw your sheath is the moment you lost or something like that. They they engage. This guy charges ahead full of anger and just pissed off. Musashi ends him quite quite quickly. 
gets back in the boat and throws away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah fucking like light work. Fucking savage, man. <laughs> he was known uh he was known to have uh never gotten a haircut, never taken a bath. Um there's like legendary accounts that he got ambushed while he was taking a bath one time. Um and because of that he was just always ready. Um towards the end of his life he put all of his learning into the Book of Five Rings which, as I said, similar to how uh, Sun Tzu is with, uh, you know, the art of war. People from military personnel to, you know, business executives read the Book of Five Rings because of its strategic way of thinking, right? So, yeah, he was he was an unorthodox samurai, but he was he was easily easily the most famous samurai outside of Japan, if not in Japan as well. Yeah, and he's um. Kind of a polymath, actually. It seems like he's a swordsman, philosopher, strategist, writer, and also they consider him a ronin. Yeah, it's- yeah. So he would have been a well. He, so, I mean that that was all warriors back in the day. Very few warriors, just like, especially in Japan, the same way like in Greece, in China, there was a number of skills that you learned to be a well-rounded warrior. It wasn't just killing arts. You knew healing arts. You knew art, painting, poetry carving something along those lines to kind of refine your soul in addition to just you know taking lives well i mean stoicism would make or not even stoicism but the stoic attitude that's universal would make sense teaching that in all warriors regardless of a culture because i mean if you're going to fight somebody i mean you probably will die right if you if you lose the duel but don't let that uh fear control you while you're fighting so i imagine that that's why philosophy would make sense and, and teaching and teaching them uh, that code. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's. Do you know more about his martial arts background, or, or do you know more about his uh, philosophy background? Um, honestly, just general. I mean, I imagine his. I know he served in some wars um, under a under a lord, and there he would have learned basic skills. But again, I think he had already killed a man by the time he signed up for to be a soldier. Um, he worked his way up. He was held in pretty high esteem towards the end of his life. He had, um, I don't think he ever had kids. I think he adopted a son at one point um, who I think died. And after he died, he went and that's when he, he wrote the Book of Five Rings in like self-isolation. He like retired to a cave or something. And that's when he just wrote. Um, and I think he died shortly after that, if I'm not mistaken. Don't don't quote me on any of this stuff, guys. This is, this is most of the knowledge I know about Musashi was read when I was between like thirteen and fifteen years old. So, what made you want to like him? I guess that's the point of the the episode. Really, it's not really about the minutia. I mean, if you want to hear the minutia, that's we can the, read the yeah. Wikipedia page to you if you really want. But no, for me, it was uh, my teacher, um, my martial art teacher in Kajukimbo. He was very. Um, Similar, similar to how the, the the warriors of old would have been. He he believed in training your mind and your spirit the same way you train your body, because otherwise you're just a thug, right? You just yeah, it makes sense. You're, you're just a brawler. So one of the things we had to do to move up in the school was to read, um, read books, and he would have a list of books we had to read, um, and then we would literally write reports about them. And like part of the testing process for promotions was to like 
kind of defend your thesis. Like you would talk to people about like what they'd ask you questions about it. And, um, and that was part of your training. That was just as important as your physical training. <clears throat> and so one of the books that we read was the book of five rings. And I'm not going to lie to you. There was a lot of it that went over my head. <laughs> it's not a long book, but as with most of these like translated works on, military strategy i had a hard time kind of seeing how it applies to not yeah. military things because mm -hmm. it seems very specific my i haven't read it in years my guess would be in fact this might be the inspiration i need to pick it up again um bec because there is uh, a lot of good things in there one thing that i do remember was the um it was like the master of one is the master of all and this was oh, is that the the, the teacup and the samurai? It, it, it ties it ties into the teacup. And but the, they're separate. The tea, the tea master and the samurai. Yeah, it's not the same thing, but it ties into the same philosophy of Japanese, um, kind of Zen, um, the meditative approach to all things, like the 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 mind, no mind, being completely in the present and being completely. I think some people call it flow state. It, a lot of it is based on this. I think mushin. Right. Um, and this was basically, uh, but for, for Musashi, it was different. So the, the master of one is the master of all is, um, as I remember, somebody who takes the time and the effort to devote themselves mm -hmm. to mastering something. Right. Once they have achieved the level that other people would consider master, they possess the skills necessary to be a master of anything. Because the, the road to mastery, it doesn't matter what pursuit you're following, it's the same steps. It requires mindfulness. It requires being uh, consistent, being dedicated, working hard, you know, constantly growing, constantly constantly having a beginner's mindset and that you never actually, the master never actually thinks he's a master. The master views himself as a beginner constantly, right? <clears throat> and if you have those, then you... You know, you have the ability to master everything, and uh, it kind of like so. I'll explain. It, it. makes actually it makes sense because you've mastered the process, and the process can be applied to different um, well, and it's subjects. It's, it's not just the process, but it's the mindset that the process creates, right? So, a and and this is where the tea, the the tea master comes in. So, there's a story. Uh, it gets passed around martial arts circles quite a bit. I'm sure some, if not all, of your viewers have heard, but uh. I'll re. I'm yeah. I don't know too much about our viewers yet. They haven't commented, but if I'm hoping they have a, a background that's kind of like martial arts, that'd be interesting. Well, well, I'll go ahead and, and talk on it. So, so basic story. I'll try to sum it up. Is back in old time Japan, there's a there's a tea master, um, and there is a samurai, and they're crossing the bridge, and the the tea master, he didn't um, like he bumped into the samurai, something like that. Uh, the samurai's pissed off, and he's like, you know, bitch, I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> and that's, and how they, that's how they would put it back then. And, you know, the team master's shaking in his boots like, oh, no, you know, I got a lot of reasons to live. And he's like, all right, well, you know what? I'm going to do you right. Um, go ahead, take a day, meet me like a man. We're going we're gonna to duel. We're going to duel like like samurai, right? And uh, this is, at this point, it's the samurai's kind of showboating, right? He's He wants to just crush this guy. If he doesn't kill him, he wants to crush him, right? crushes spirits so this team master he's doing all right for himself so he's got some money he goes and he's looking for a swordsman to teach him how to fight and protect himself so he meets the swordsman 
Daddy says, yeah, I'll train you. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Uh, and he buys a, buys a little cheap sword. And uh, they sit there, and they're going over techniques over and over and over again. Um, and the team master's not getting He's an old man. He's not a fighter. Uh, and eventually, all day long, you know, it's getting – it, they train through the day, they train through the night, they train through the next day, and, you know, it's getting close to the duel at sundown, right? And uh, and eventually the guy's like, man, I don't know what to tell you. I think you're going to die. <laughs> and so the team master's like, fuck, this sucks. And he's like, well, I'm thirsty. Why don't you make us some tea? So he's like, all right. So the team master sits down, opens up his little tea set, and instantly a change comes over him, and he starts setting up his tea, and he starts going through all the motions, right? And the swords, the swordsman's looking, and he's like, holy shit. Sits down, has the tea. Tea ceremony concludes. All of a sudden, tea master starts getting kind of like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? And the guy's like, look, you've already, you have the answer. All right? What I want you to do is uh, when, the, when, the, when you go to the duel, just take your sword, hold it over your head, and I want you to get in that same mindset that you have when you're doing your tea ceremony. He's like, the fuck? He's like, no, trust me. Just do that. You're going to die. You're absolutely going to die. Get in that mindset you have when you're doing the tea ceremony. Hold the sword up. When he gets close enough, just swing that fucker down and take his head off. Take him with you. So he's like, all right, cool. I can do that. So they meet. The other samurai, you know, he's, he's showboating. He's talking shit. Tea ceremony guy, he's, he's real shook. But sure enough, you know, they draw swords. Uh, the tea master pulls the sword over his head, holds it there. Some change comes over him. He's, he's gone into his Zen mode now, right? And uh, the the samurai comes up, and he's trying to find an opening. But he's looking at this guy's eyes, and he realizes this guy's, you know, he realizes where his mind is, and he realizes that he'll probably kill him, but he's going to die in the process. Um, at the end of it, samurai takes a step back, sheathes the sword and bows and says, yep, duel's done. We're good here. <laughs> And so the moral of the story that ties back to the, the master of all. Mastery in, in Japanese culture is so much more than just a skill. It's really the mindset that accompanies it, you know. Um, it's that motion. It's that ability to enter kind of a flow state. And so that story kind of shows that really well. I, I actually um, was uh, thinking about this, too, because um, one of the episodes I wanted to talk about um, – the magnum opus, kind of like, it, like alchemy. No, not magnum opus. Is an alch and al that's the philosopher's stone. Also, we'll talk about that too. But um, mastering, kind of like the that one discussion we wanted to have about like passion versus um, hard hard work, right? Or what you're just naturally good at. Like if you if you're naturally good at something, you can't you can never go wrong. And if you never go wrong. You could, you're probably going to be a master at it, right? Whether you like it or not. And that can help you in developing yourself a lot, too. That's why I put a stress on a magnum opus. Oh, I thought it was going to turn a, into... A great, a great work, you know what I mean? Yeah. I thought it was going to turn into, like, Mr. Miyagi wax on, wax off. Like, the whole <laughs> tea thing ends up being, like... And then he <laughs> was a master. <laughs> Served, just, just, just swing <laughs> the sword like you're serving the tea. <laughs> I'll never see it coming. <laughs> no, no, I kind of thought that, not going to lie, I, I thought that was going to happen too. I thought he was just going to smack him with his teapot in his head and, and knock him out. Which probably, I mean, probably would have been kind of effective. That's, I'm going to rewrite that story. Hey, no, Japanese no. people, you don't know what the fuck you're talking let's, about. You let's do it. Actually, yeah, let's, let's do it in a blog. 
<laughs> it turns out he actually the smacked him. The real tea master. The real tea master. He would just smacked him in the head as hard as he could with the pot and he just knocked him out. Turns out he was a ninja. He, and he, he was serving the tea and he's just like, God! He just said, I don't know, right? Brought the tea tosses in his face. Oh, no, no. The, I remember, uh, Pineapp- <laughs> remember Pineapple Express when he, uh, well, you watched the movie, right? Pineapple Express when yeah. he, he throws the hot uh, coffee on the... The guys oh, are yeah. trying to kill him. Yeah. Just get a bunch of hot water and just yeah, just throw it in his face. Pocket sand. Just have it prepped and ready to go. <laughs> That's how I could see it happening. He just like blinds him in, in his face with hot water, grabs his own sword and stabs him. Yeah, I think that's how the story should have gone. But um, what about Vagabond? I know, like, I'm not really into that. Uh, I don't know too much about it. So, how similar is Vagabond to the original story? Is it the same? I believe it's the same. I and so I started reading Vagabond. By the way, is like I guess it's like a, a comic, Japanese comic, right? It's yeah. So based off of yeah, based like on Musashi. So, so if people want to know about manga. it. Yeah, they shouldn't. I again, this was many many years ago. I'm sure the series concluded when I was started. Reading many it. moons ago. Yeah, many many moons. Uh, when when the uh, when the comic started, I think I read they had published a couple volumes or something i read the first few it was pretty cool i mean it's 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 manga so i mean it's it has the stuff in there but i mean so like musashi is it shows him as a kid and like his father's you know super badass but he's kind of a piece of shit yeah wasn't his father abusive to him that's kind of why he became a warrior too well he's a piece of shit and kind of a drunk and like the mom died and so he was this wild child and this like samurai came to town who was just a dick and he's like i'll challenge anybody and he's like i'll fight you and uh yeah he he ended up killing the guy and uh so like the theme through that they keep bringing up uh so he just had some natural skills. So this was well, like and the, and without that, any training. Yeah, that's so that's what yeah yeah. So he kind of he the, the talent in this case existed. He the talent just existed. had a knack for it. Yeah. And and again, it's a lot of it is because he was just he was a wild child, according to the comic. I mean, there's a book called Musashi, which is it's a big old novel, and it's just ha- it has some historical basis, right? It has, a, it has a lot of historical basis. That's I mean, it's it's a. Uh, not a fully fictionalized, but I'm sure it's embellished in some areas for narrative purposes. But this is like the go-to for the life of Musashi. Because of it, you had the Vagabond manga. Um, because of it, you had the Samurai Trilogy um, directed by, uh, what's his name? Famous Japanese director. Jamie, pull that up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, type in um, Samurai Trilogy. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. It's 1954, right? Yeah, it's it's older. It's is it Akira? Uh, Hiroshi Inagaki. That's the director. Yeah, and it's okay. Samurai tr- Trilogy, right? Samurai Trilogy. These are really I've watched those uh, when I was younger. Uh, really good movies, but they're based on the novel, um, which is just called uh, Musashi. Um, yeah, he looks like a rugged person. If the way they depict him here and this um, poster, I wish we could um, have this in video format. But if you look at him, he, ha- he looks very like not unkempt. But type, type in the the, um, the actor. Ser- ser- no, search for the images of uh, book Musashi book. Yeah. Oh yeah, he has a. 
He has a, a lot of he has a goatee and well, he, I don't think they had beards back then either. I don't think samurai. Yeah, I don't think just kind of like the Romans too, right? They yeah. they would um shave. So he was I mean he had facial hair, he had just wild hair and stuff. Oh yeah, smelly, he looks yeah, he looks wild. Beard. Yeah, and that was I'll the big thing. He was really not um he wasn't down with all the pomp and circumstance of samurai. Well, there's yeah, culture. that the thing he, he was very very like you know he was an elitist. No, not at all. He he was like what works. He was a, he was a f- warrior. He, he was, was a, a pragmatist. Well, he was a, yeah, he was a warrior. Whatever works works. It doesn't matter about the process or whatever. Just is it Musashi? <laughs> I search Musashi. It comes up with Musashi sushi. <laughs> oh, but I see. I've seen this. I've seen this image before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very. Cool. And then they got a lot like vagab. If you look up Musashi uh, vagabond, you'll see a lot of the style comes from there as well. Oh yeah. Ah, he looks very cool. Yeah, it's pretty, it's really cool. All right, so um, next question about Misashi um, Miyamoto. Speaking of the elitism too, that's mm-hmm. um, have you pl- you know Ghost of Tsushima? Who Ghost of Tsushima? Like the new game is like a, a game about uh, Japan being invaded by the Mongols. Mm-mm. Okay, so that's an interesting thing that they that they incorporated it in the game. So in the beginning of the game, I don't want to get too nerdy or geeky, but pretty much, I mean, it's based on history. The Mongols invade Japan, and what what happens is the samurai on the, on the I think it's Komodo Beach, that's what they call it, and Tsushima, the Tsushima, it's not on the mainland. Um, these Mongols invade, and they have these ships, and then they come out, and one of the samurai comes out and kind of greets them and says, "I am the descendant of this samurai, right?" And you know, he just gra- one of the the not Kublai Khan, um, one of the Mongol leaders just takes some fire and just like puts some o- puts some oil on him and just burns them. He's like, "I don't care," which is interesting if you see the warrior ethos of the Mongols and the Japanese. I, I thought like, that the Mongols never actually invaded. I know they tried, but they they failed at the end. Tsushima. No, no, didn't the 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 great wind the the kamikaze didn't that like kill all their boats um took place in 1247 there was two invasions i know one and 1281 that's where the word kamikaze they were major military efforts undertaken by kublai khan of the yuan dynasty to conquer japan archipelago after the submission of the korean kingdom of goryeo to vasseldom kublai khan's a cool name yeah, and yeah, Marco Polo. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, so it looks like the there was an invasion. Just it was unsuccessful, and it wasn't on the mainland. It was in the Japanese island of Tsushima, so it's a lot disconnected. So that's, that the warrior ethos is very interesting in Japan because it seems like they're very pompous, elitist, and kind of like the Athenians back then. Uh, the Athenian philosophers. We were talking about this in the history of Kinesism that. If you wanted to learn philosophy, you had to be, you know, purely ethnically Greek and all that good stuff. And you had to be essentially noble, a Greek citizen, a male, rich. And it's crazy uh, It's how in Japan as well, they have that elitist status. No, I, looked, I looked it up. Sorry. But yeah, kamikaze comes from, uh, it means divine wind. It comes from the name the Japanese gave to a typhoon that destroyed the Mongol ships in the 13th century. Save the country from invasion. Well, the well, yeah. I'm just saying, like in the in the game Ghost of Tsushima, they 
they dramatize it and they okay. it's about them doing that. But let's say that did happen. I mean, it sounds characteristic of the Mongols to because they were a meritocracy in, in Mongolian uh, culture. It's whoever. It, that's the special thing about um, Genghis Khan, Temujin. He Genghis Khan. he didn't really believe in all this status and well, their sense of honor was very different. Yeah, it's this, like this is like the difference between the Romans and the Greeks. So, like, if you read the uh, the Odyssey. Um, they talk about a lot how Odysseus got through a lot of the the things is through trickery, kind of being a shit, right? Being foxy and wily was a re- like they refer to Odysseus as the wily and brave Odysseus as though it's a virtue. But the Romans were very much closer to like what you'd think of as samurai, like the honorable and brave. I think they call it, yeah they call it, the Romans call it uh, gravitas. I think that's what they. Call it strength and honor. Yeah, they call it uh, dignity, seriousness, and or solemnity, solemnity of manner. Gravitas, one of the ancient Roman virtues that denoted seriousness. It also translated variously as weight, dignity, and importance, and connotes restraint and moral rigor. It also conveys a sense of responsibility and commitment to the task. So that sounds very similar to the Bushido. But I, that's what's interesting about the, um, let's say, the Spartans and the the Mongolians, they're just pragmatists. They didn't really care about that. It's like whatever wins, wins. Right? So that's what's inter- interesting to me. Do you know a lot about the... um? Mo- aren't you a Mongolian fan? You're the one who told me that... Oh, no, no. You were talking to me about Conan the Barbarian. I, I do love Conan. But um, no, I love Mongols. Mongols are pretty badass. <clears throat> but yeah, that that game was very interesting. It, had, it got a lot of controversy for some reason. Uh, there was... um. Some Chinese people were mad and said, oh, we sided with the Mongols or something. <laughs> I mean, they literally, it was the Yuan Dynasty. Yeah. So it was China when it was ruled by the Mongols. So there's so that. they're just upset about <laughs> <history>. <laughs> They're just upset. No, no, but that was a very... That I know this. <laughs> I don't want to make this a grapevine where we kind of just talk about this st- stuff, but I don't know. I just, I had to include it just because I thought that was interesting how they kind of got I mad. Mean, Ch- China, if you're listening... I fucking love you. You got to know that. I love you. But let's be real, man. There were numerous times in your history when you were ruled by outside forces that were not the Han people. And what did you do? You rose up and you made them Chinese, one of your various ethnic groups. Same with the, <laughs> same still, with the Romans, too. Yeah, exactly. So they I mean, had you, high you don't need to be ashamed because you got Mollywomp back in the day. You guys, it's the Han back in charge. Now you're good. Same thing with the Manchurians. They're almost extinct. That's all you. Well, actually, the Romans <laughs> is different. They they uh, they assimilated the people as generals, but I don't think there was every barbarian non-Roman general actually. Come to think about it, I had to look that up. I think there was actually, but it wasn't common, and it was Trajan, first emperor born from a non-Latin Rome family, was Trajan, and who was born in Italica, Spain. But there were still like people Spain. who were. Romanized, you know what I mean. So they're not totally different. Whereas that the the Mongols who became the Yuan Dynasty, they were like completely different people. No, no. Well, they yeah. they didn't stay different for very long. Yeah, yeah, I mean Kublai Khan was. In fact, that's one of the reasons people think the dynasty didn't last was because they were so into Chinese culture that they went down and they 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 Chinese themselves up. That <clears throat> that was uh, Kublai Khan's son was he had a Chinese name. Right, so it was uh, yeah, no, they 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 
they went to conquer China and then they became Chinese, which again, this is what happens in the history of China. People go to conquer them and then they become Chinese themselves and then the Han just take over again. And then with the Romans, it's opposite. <clears throat> they go to other country and make them Roman. They did it to the... Um, well, they got infiltrated pretty good by uh, by the Greeks in terms of art and mythology and well, philosophy. Uh, from what I understand, that's from the Etruscans. And the Etruscans, they... I don't want to go into it because I don't want to make this about the Etruscans and the, their Greek influence and how they influenced Rome, mm. and et cetera, et cetera. But the Etruscans were essentially, um, they had traded with Greek. I mean, the Greeks, actually, they, people like to make them as if they're separate people, the Greeks and the Romans. But the Greeks have been in, in the Roman, in, in the Italic Peninsula for a long time. Well, that's, that's why they call it, you know, Greco-Roman Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, whereas, yeah, with the Japanese and Chinese, they're pretty separate. But people like to munch them together. All because of a writing system. Yeah, all because of the writing system. But if you think about it, it's not the same scenario. No, it's not. Yeah. I mean, mean, it's not not just the writing system. I mean, Japan definitely inherited a lot of Chinese aspects and culture from the Tang Dynasty. Because one of the... I mean, we can look at a lot of it. Yeah, exactly. From the the Tang Dynasty. They... they, What do they say? If you go to uh, Osaka, I think... Like if you want to look like if you want to look what a Chinese city looked like during the Tang Dynasty, I think it was go, Kyoto. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Kyoto. Yeah. Then that's where you would go because they preserved it so well. A lot of that stuff came from China. So Zen, which is so integral to the stuff we're talking about, China or Japanese martial arts, is is Chan Buddhism in China. Mm-hmm, yeah. So it's <clears throat> and in China it has a big influence on martial arts too. So. Um, yeah, no, they got they got more than the writing system, but definitely. Which is natural for yeah, yeah, yeah. all cultures and countries yeah. that border other or near. Yeah, exactly. It's they just uh i think it's a little different because the Chinese and the Japanese and the Koreans are so which we could call like the big three Confucian based societies, right? Don't they call them the three tigers of Asia or that Probably that wouldn't surprise me. There's that term, the the tigers of Asia, or something like that. I think I it has think to do with economics, though. If so, it's more than three, though, because I know Singapore is included. Or the four tigers. Well, I I know so those three because they're so heavily influenced by. Oh yeah, yeah, the four Asian tigers: Hong Kong, Singapore, Th- South Korea, and Taiwan. That's once, economic. Yeah, once fascinated the economic world from the early 1960s until the 1990s. They they regularly achieved double digit growth. No, I'm I'm talking about just culturally though. They're the they're based on a, again Confucian, um, societies. Yeah, right? but I understand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, they, but I'm the difference is, is that even though they have these connections, these things that connected them, um, the difference is is for a very very long time they considered themselves different people, like unique people. Like the Japanese are very sold out on being Japanese. And then, but I remember the Chinese. Originally believed the um, Japanese were barbaric because they had a a warrior class ruling them, whereas the Chinese had a had a diplomatic bureaucratic class that had consolidated power. Well, they all thought they were barbaric. They all thought everybody else was barbaric. Mm-hmm. All all of them, which is funny because all those cultures originated kind of in Korea, <laughs> like the Korea China border. That's pretty much the cradle of of that civilization. Those civilizations. Dio, weren't you in Korea? Yes. What do you had? I like how, how him being in Korea has to do with um, the historicity of the the claim he made. But what's your idea on that? What he just said? 
I've seen. Well, they always. <laughs> there's always the claim. You just, you just hear from people. But I no. I don't want to make this about China. But I was remembering something real quick. Because I, I, <laughs> I, I remember when I went to China, I asked him about what do you, th- how do you see yourself as somebody in a greater uh, part of Asian like unity. I don't know how how I explain it, but it's like because people like to see themselves as oh no, I'm Chinese, I am Korean, I am Taiwanese. But it's like yeah, you guys are all Asian though. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> but you know it's funny. I told no no, I, I just I was that, trolling I was trolling some Chinese guy. And then he told me, "No, no, no but they are Chinese. They're the, we we used to own them. That's how they would see it." I thought that was very interesting their their way of seeing it. The, and they would be what didn't they yeah, also say kind of things like that too to you? I th- I think that's just a thing though across the globe. Same thing would happen in Africa. South America. Yeah, that's true. But I thought it was interesting here from a Chinese person. And I think one of them actually, I, I kind of told him about this. And he's like, I kind of gave him that smarmy comment. And he's like, no, no, they'll be part of us sooner or later. We'll regain back what we lost. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In Chinese guys. Yeah, Chinese guy told me this. And he specifically, su- he said. I'm not surprised. He, uh, Korea, South Korea first. And then uh, take back. China is definitely much more Im- imperialistic. <laughs> no, but it was interesting hearing that. Um, a kind lot of, of people yeah, yeah. have that sentiment. A lot of just average Chinese people have that sentiment. Wait, what's no, right? Sean specifically, I remember he said that too. I remember we're kind of messing around about this. And he said, just, you know, for fun, joshing around. And then he's just like, no, to, no, no. To reclaim China as it was at like its zenith. Greatest. No, but there's, a, there's an actual. Um, um, French word for this. It's called revanchism, which means uh, revan means it comes from the word revenant, something that revival. You know, a, a regaining of the past territory. I think the it comes from the Prussians wanting to get or the French something about the French and the Prussians. They had some lost territory. They wanted to get it back. I know I'm kind of yeah, being it's, superficial. It's, it's, it's not just about China, it, but China's. Well, China's really funny because it's again this goes beyond like the. The thing when you have a culture that old is that this goes past like modern um, political borders, right? And so, so China. I, I had a buddy. Um, he was in Taiwan, and so he was military too. And he's just kind of backpacking through Taiwan. He stops at this hostel, and uh, there's a there's a Taiwanese soldier there. <clears throat> you know, they're hanging out, drinking, and doing push up contests and shit, right? As soldiers are wont to do. Yeah. And, <laughs> And and so my buddy starts giving him shit like, Hey man, so when's the uh when's the fucking uh you know, the army gonna storm the mainland, take it back? And he's like, Oh, that's happening. Oh like, it's gonna yeah. fucking happen. Mm-hmm. But no, this yeah. this is the funny part is then he's like, We just gotta be real careful about the timing. And they're like, Why is that? My buddy's like, Why is that? And he's like, Oh, well, you know, because then the fucking the, the inner Mongolians, the Tibetans and the fucking Hong Kongers are gonna fucking think that they can break off. I mean, we we own them too. It's just <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm telling you. Taiwan but yeah, yeah. Claims pretty much which which is <laughs> the same that stuff China that China claims. does. Yeah. yeah. Well, to be fair, they were the first modern. Um, I think uh, they've let go of that for the most the, part. The but younger China generation, has not. the the younger generation, really has. Yeah, China, but has. not in China. No, no. Not even, I wonder, not even the younger generation. Some more so. You can no, because it's and this is where it comes in. Really, the crackdown on on education and, and media where you mm. see the effects of censorship because these outside opinions i've known people in china who are like this is news to them like oh well, what do you think about tibet and they're like 
What about it? It's always been China. It's always been Chinese. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That I would kind of and, and yeah. the same thing Taiwan. Like yeah, yeah ta- Taiwan's just like it's China. Like it's always been China, sort of thing. And there's uh, just nothing to question. Yeah, like there's education. Th- exactly. This is what it is. They were taught that from from very early on. Like for a lot of them, I mean, the conflict with Taiwan and stuff. It's it's not even a thing. Like. It's maybe if they hear about it, it's just some weirdos over there talking shit. There's no basis to it, right? So, I mean, that's... But it's... I don't know the like exact figure or even estimate, but I feel like a, a decent percentage of those that go overseas kind of... It's surprising how quickly they'll change the... Well, it's crazy how they go back because if you recall, <laughs> uh, Xi Jinping was... Uh, he was like a oh, study yeah. abroad student, like but Ohio or some shit. But yeah, he was, yeah, 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 he was. He yeah. he, he studied here in the states. But he years. nukes For all of the period. world, ex- all of the U.S. except um, that one place but he was, think, went to I mean, study. He's more unique situation because of his family. Sure, his family's background. Well, I mean, it's he came from a kind of a to do that. modest background, right? He was like, uh, uh, no, his dad was like some high leader, and they've the been in the party since party. the party started. Yeah. I know. I was just trying to be satirical. I was. I was going to say he was. He was a pig farmer that rose up to the highest I mean, land did, of the office. He did have everything. Like it was. It's like crazy stories. Like the things <coughs> they did to his dad. Actually, I think they killed his dad. Right. Probably. That's like the party killed his dad, and then <laughs> I guess he's ruling it now. So it's like. <laughs> but di- but didn't he do a, a internal crackdown on his um whatever the corruption inside mm-hmm. the Communist Party? That was actually good. That aspect was no, no, it was good. I think it's it's more of a targeting enemies. His he has um, political foes. It's okay, kind of cover on, on its outset. It looked good because <laughs> people, <laughs> no, no. people do <laughs> take advantage. Well, they take advantage of the Chinese culture, giving gifts. And I such. mean, the only thing that's really going to crack down on corruption in China is implementation of technology. That's the only way to really get. I, that's the only yeah. way, which is which is a you know it's funny double edged sword. Double edged yeah, sword, of course. Yeah. I can't believe we turned this into a, a Chinese geopolitical <laughs> discussion <laughs> after Musashi. Yeah, right, I'll leave it. I'll leave it there. Should we end with Musashi? <laughs> it's almost 45 minutes. I wonder, hmm? I wonder what China thinks about the elections. Okay. It's time to stop. You almost got me. It's time to stop. <laughs> this close. <laughs> That's what happens when... <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about it. I was about to just run with it. <laughs> yeah, I just got be... my meal paid for. <laughs> I'm looking for the. Uh, I'm... If you wouldn't have like broken, <laughs> that's it. I'm getting me mallet. <laughs> Clearly, this was not meant to be a Musashi we, Miyamoto episode. We, we here at the Cynics. Have zero political opinions. No, <laughs> not at all. We just <laughs> philosophize all day. Yes, <laughs> that's what we do. Politically neutral. So nobody, fe- nobody yeah. feel that you're, you can't jive with us politically because yeah. we're we're like plastic. I mean, we're eventually gonna talk about Ted Kaczynski. So oh shit, <laughs> <laughs> it's hardcore. So we're not. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna explore every avenue, as this as the 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 Kennicks did. Yeah, why not? Uh, yeah. The, uh, anyway, to sum it up, Musashi, real great guy. I recommend reading either the novel, uh, Musashi, 
uh, or the manga Vagabond, or watch the movies if you are a lazy shit. I won't judge you. But uh, he's an interesting guy to look into. Or read the Book of Five Rings if you uh, are into that sort of stuff. It's, it's good stuff. He's got nothing on the last I, I can imagine the... the <laughs> he I, I can he Im- is the last samurai. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine the people in the comments are like, why is there geopolitics in my philosophy show? Because get, get with it. Um, yeah, get with it. <laughs> They can still hear you. Good. They can hear me playing the violin. They can hear me laugh. <laughs> it says, hey, he says here in Latin, civis pacem parabellum. You know what that means? Parabellum. It means if you, if you want peace, prepare for war. If you want peace, prepare for war. Peace through strength. Let them fucking fear. So we have no political leanings, <laughs> I swear. So long as they respect. 